Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. scripture reading tonight is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it 
that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's the word of God. Thank you, Lance, and thank you, Philip, for the worship. Uh, I don't know if, about you, but I, I was a little nervous just now as uh, Lance was reading the word. I was listening to the words very intently, and I start to I, I felt uh, an unusual anxiety in me. And I realized what it was. It was the Hulk's eyes looking at me as you were reading on your T-shirt. So now I understand how I was feeling why I was feeling the way I was. Uh, welcome back for part two. I'm so glad you guys uh, were able to make it. And for those of you who are watching online, welcome. I hope that uh, the reading of God's word and our study today will bless you. Uh, I, I noticed some of the words in our, our last song, uh, King of Heaven, resonated with this text. So I'm just going to read some, some parts of that song that, that are connected. Uh, Jesus, let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done in us. There's no one greater. You alone are Savior. Show the world your love. Lots of really key uh, truths in that song. Well, as I mentioned last week, John chapter 17, if you'll turn there now, please, John chapter 17, is commonly called the Lord's High Priestly Prayer. We looked uh, last week at verses 1 through 13, and tonight we'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. And you may recall that the chapter and the prayer may be segmented into three sections. The first is verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. And then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for all believers. So we're now in the middle of the second section where Jesus prays for his disciples. Well, let's review a few things that we covered last week. First, we explored in some, some of the key concepts uh, in his prayer for himself. He, met, he mentions... Uh, glory. And we talked about how glory is the magnificence of God, the brilliance of God. And it was displayed through the Son. The Son glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies the Son. We also talked about the hour having come, that Jesus in early in his ministry had said, my hour had not yet come. But here he says, my hour is now come. He's ready to complete his mission. We talked about the connection between knowing God and eternal life. And that might seem like a, such a basic thing that we know God in order to have eternal life. But here he lays out that connection very clearly. We also looked at the concept of finishing the mission. That here what Jesus was saying is, I am ready now to finish the mission that has been given to me. Also that he had kept the word. He had kept the word that God the Father had given to him and passed along. And that God the Father had delegated authority to the Son and that they too, the Father and the Son, had shared ownership of the disciples. So those were some of the key points from the first part last week. 
And we also talked about uh, four key petitions that his disciples, uh, that he made on behalf of his disciples. Uh, And we'll go into those further uh, in just a bit. The cliffhanger that I gave you, as Pastor John uh, called it, at the end of part one was uh, to talk a little bit about Chuck Smith's uh, message where he talks about the five ways in which there is fullness of joy and how it's connected to our faith walk. And so I'd like to touch on that now. And so if you would uh, take a look at these passages as I mention them. The first one is John chapter 15, verse 11. John 15, 11 reads, These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy may be full. So what Chuck said about that passage is that our keeping his commandments and abiding in his love is connected to this fullness of joy. So our keeping his commandments and abiding in his love is connected to this fullness of joy. If you're wondering how you can have the fullness of joy, these are some key ideas for you to consider keeping his commandments and abiding in his love. Second, John 16:24 reads, and you shall receive that you shall receive, I'm sorry, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So what's being uh, communicated there is if you pray in your prayer life, if you ask, you will receive that joy and it will be full. So the second thing that, um, that uh, Pastor Chuck communicated was that your prayer life is connected to this fullness of joy. Third is uh, fellowship with the Father and the Son. If you look at 1 John 1, 4, it reads, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So here what Pastor Chuck said is our fellowship with the Father and Son is connected to this fullness of joy. And then 2 John 1.12 reads, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So what, what's being said here is the fellowship of the body is connected to having this fullness of joy. Now, pause for a moment. Just consider what's happened in our country recently with the decline of church attendance. It's something that every church is struggling with. Um, Think about how that impacts the fullness of joy spoken of here. And number five, uh, if you look at Psalm 1611, it reads, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in his presence, we have fullness of joy. So take all of that together and fullness of joy impacts or is connected to whether we're keeping his commandments, abiding in his love, whether we're spending time in prayer, whether we're fellowshipping with the Lord and with each other, and whether we're in his presence. So I I don't know if that challenges you or gets you to think about this fullness of joy idea, but it, it got me thinking. Well, let's go to verse 14, which reads, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. 
Notice that the world has rejected God's word and the disciples who are his messengers of the word. So both the message and the messengers, which are not of this world, are hated by this world. And I guess the question I would ask us today is, are we eager to be accepted by this world or are we willing to be despised for the sake of the gospel? John 15, 18 through 19 reads, if the world, and you can flip back a couple pages. So we're in John 17 now. If you want to go to 15, take a look at this passage. Uh, verses 18 and 19, 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. In 2018, the St. Charles Institute reported that a group of 344 Chinese pastors have signed a joint public statement entitled Declaration of the Christian Faith. The statement begins with the pastors asserting that they are both Chinese and Christians and that they have been ordained by God to serve as pastors. The letter reads, quote, We are a group of Chinese Christians chosen by the Most High God, and I'm going to pause and repeat that phrase, chosen by the Most High God, to be his humble servants, serving as pastors for Christian churches throughout the various towns and cities. The statement continues, we believe and are obligated to teach the world that the one true and living triune God is the creator of the universe, of the world, and of all people. All men should worship God, and not any man or thing. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that all men, from national leaders to beggars and prisoners, have sinned. They will die. They will die once, and they will be judged in righteousness. Apart from the grace and redemption of God, all men would eternally perish. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that the crucified and risen Jesus is the only head of the global church, the sole savior of all mankind, and the everlasting ruler and supreme judge of the universe. To all who repent and believe in him, God will give eternal life and an eternal kingdom. What courage they have displayed in making this declaration. In 1994, I uh, visited China for a summer as a uh, college student, and I taught English in central China. 94 would be about 30 years, right? Coming up on 24 now, so 24 plus the 6, we're at 30. And um, it makes me feel like an old man. That and the fact that I now have to wear bifocals. That, uh, that confirms it. I'm there. Uh, but in my time in China, I recognized some of the challenges that the, the Christians had there. One of them was that in obedience to the government, they had to idolize Chairman Mao. And so if you look at this letter, what they've basically said is we are, there is only one God. And let's see what their wording is here. All men should worship God and not any man or thing. 
that's a hard thing for a Chinese to declare publicly because that would bring great persecution. And so uh, these pastors had a great courage in order to make this declaration. Jesus' fullness of joy means that believers are willing to stand for him amid the persecution of the world. Verses 15 and 16 read, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice that Jesus prayed that the Father would keep his disciples from the evil one. He did not pray that the Father would take them out of the world. Remember I said that we need to take note of both what Jesus is and is not asking from the Father. Delivery from evil is mentioned in other New Testament scriptures. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.13, we find a similar expression. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 1 John 5, 18 and 19 reads, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Brothers and sisters, have you sensed that truth to be evident before us today? Listen to what it says. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Is there agreement in this house that that's happening right before our eyes? Can I get an amen? No, amen. Okay. I'll say it myself. Amen. Maybe you said it and I didn't hear it. I apologize. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, we read, But the Lord is faithful. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one? That they would be sanctified through God's truth. So here we have this word sanctified. What does this mean? The Greek word for sanctify means to make holy, purify, or consecrate. It was to set something apart for God. Vine's topical commentary says that sanctification involves, quote, the acknowledgement of the lordship of Jesus Christ by making him holy and set apart within our hearts. So the question I would ask us today is, have you sanctified the Lord in your heart? by setting him apart and holding him high. Let's look now at verses 17 through 19, which is uh, where Jesus prays that they might be sanctified. It reads, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the, into truth, into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. We are sanctified through the word, Jesus Christ, and through God's word, the Bible. So how does the truth of God's word sanctify us? Pastor Chuck has some uh, help on this. He says, first, it causes us to see the emptiness of the world and its inability to satisfy our deepest needs. 
Second, we see that the world has nothing to offer me but misery and strife. The wisest and perhaps the wealthiest man who ever lived, that was King Solomon, after pursuing satisfaction and happiness in the world, he declared, emptiness, emptiness, all is empty and frustrating. And you may remember vanity, vanity, all is vanity in other versions. John 8, 31 and 32 reads, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So three ideas that are connected here, abiding in the word, spending time in God's word, knowing the truth and the result of the truth, which is freedom. So you see those three ideas, abiding in the word, knowing the truth and making you free. If you abide and obey in him, then you are a true disciple. Have you allowed his, his truth to make you free? For those of you who have already made this important decision to follow Christ, remember that submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is an ongoing process, a daily decision to submit our will to his. The New King James Study Bible says this, a follower of Christ becomes sanctified or set apart for sacred use cleansed and made holy through believing and obeying the word of God. He or she has already accepted forgiveness through Christ's sacrificial death, but daily application of God's word has a purifying effect on our minds and hearts. Scripture points out sin, motivates us to confess, renews our relationship with Christ, and guides us back to the right path. So if you have fallen out of the habit of reading God's word daily or regularly, whichever your routine is, I would encourage you to think hard on this, that your ability to uh, be connected with him is directly correlated to being in his word. Let's go to the third section of this high priestly prayer found in verses 20 through 26, where Jesus prays for all believers. First, he prays uh, that, well, we said first, I think, uh, was being prayed that they, he would keep them, if I'm not mistaken, I have to go back. But second point is that they might be united. And this is found uh, starting in verse 20. 20 and 21 reads this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be as one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. At first, one may read this section and wonder, didn't I read this already or think that seems very repetitive? Remember that there are common themes that we see in each section, and each one has a different focus. For example, Jesus prays in the first section that the Father would glorify him, that the Father would do this, so that he would glorify the Father. That's in verse 1. Then in the second section, Jesus prays that the disciples would glorify him. That's in verse 10. In the third section, Jesus prays that other believers, including us, 
would glorify him. Also, the New King James footnotes for verses 20 and 21 state that the word will is not included in some manuscripts. But it's clear that Jesus intended to pray for a wider group of believers because he says, I do not pray for these alone. So he's praying for those who will believe in the future. There's some interesting notes on uh, grammar references, but I'm going to skip that because uh, many have said they're not grammarians, and that is not a Star Trek reference. Um, But what I'm going to do now is go to verses 22 and 23. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Remember that the Greek word for glory means reputation, fame, honor. So Jesus received honor from his father and in turn gives this to the church so that the world may know that, the, that Jesus was sent by God. So the direct connection between God the father giving honor and then Jesus giving honor to the church and then that being circular to show that Jesus was sent by God and that God uh, rules over all. Now, did you also see the connection in the verse between giving glory, being unified, and being made perfect in love? So I'm going to read that passage one more time and let's see if we can connect this. So we're looking for glory, unification, and being perfected in love. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So glory, being one, unified. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So it really is a, a great verse to study those connections. When Jesus gives us his glory through the Holy Spirit, we are unified and sanctified to do good works. And this may sound familiar to you because in another passage, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22, we read, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In verses 24 through 26, Jesus prays that they might be glorified. In verse 24, Jesus prays all believers will be able to join him in heaven to behold his glory. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. John 1.14 reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I don't know if... uh, if you have the same thoughts, but I am, when I think of, of that passage and others, I am looking forward 
to the day when we will behold his glory. And I think that day is coming very soon. So are we sharing this hope with those around us? Have you taken time to ask the Lord to show you who you need to share the gospel with? Who in your life, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, that you know is not walking with him? And you, if you really do believe that Jesus is coming back soon, what are you doing to take action to share that truth with them? It's a hard question because, uh, as you know, you have all this relational equity tied up in that, right? If you've known this person for years, you don't, you know, you're very comfortable with that relation, possibly, that relationship. And the introduction of, of that may make things tense. But again, I would call you back to this idea is that if you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, then we need to take action and do it prayerfully. Don't just do it on a whim. Okay. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus concludes his prayer. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus recognizes that although the world does not know the Father, his disciples understood that God had sent him. Therefore, Jesus declares his Father's name to them in order that the same love that God has toward his Son might also be in you and me. Jesus says in John 15, 9, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. The New King James Study Bible summarizes John chapter 17 this way. This entire chapter is Jesus' prayer. From it, we learn that the whole world is a tremendous battleground where the forces under Satan's power and those under God's authority are at war. Satan and his forces are, are motivated by bitter hatred for Christ and his forces. Jesus prayed for his disciples, including those who would follow him today. He prayed that God would keep his chosen believers safe from Satan's power, setting them apart and making them pure and holy, uniting them through his truth. This is the conclusion of our verse-by-verse -verse study of John 17. And with the remainder, we have, uh, we have about 15 minutes. What I'd like to do now is transition a bit into uh, a little bit more information or uh, a, a broader study of the high priest role in Scripture. So hang with me. I know it's a Wednesday night and you're probably feeling tired. But um, if you would like to write this down, uh, this would be a great list for you to study on your own as well. Um, if you would please turn to the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at quite a few uh, verses in Hebrews that references the high priestly role. And um, I've already mentioned that in this prayer, John chapter 17, he had interceded for his 12 disciples and all believers. Intercession is a key function 
of a priest in the Old Testament tradition. But what does it mean when we say that Jesus Christ is our great high priest? What does that mean? Jesus Christ is our great high priest. For this section, uh, we'll look at the Old Testament and New Testament. And as I said, we'll spend most of our time in the book of Hebrews. So if you're, you're keeping the list, there are 15 items here, but I'm not going to dwell too much on any one. I just want to give it to you and the references, and I'll, I'll read some of the references. But this would be a great study should you want to ever take this and spend some time really pouring over it. Because what I'm not going to do here today is make all the connections between the high priestly prayer in John 17 and this list, which is a description of the functions of a high, uh, the great high priest but you could certainly uh, spend a lot of time doing that. First, uh, Christ was appointed and called by God, Hebrews 3, 1 through 2. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Did you think about that? I had never thought about this. That God the Father had appointed or consecrated Christ as the great high priest. I just never really thought about that. So um, it said here, uh, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. In Hebrews 5, 4 and 5, so that first verse, if you're keeping notes uh, under number one, the first one is Hebrews 3, 1 and 2. The second one is Hebrews 5, 4 and 5. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So again, here it's God the Father who said to him, you are my son, I have begotten you. And that came from God himself who appointed him. So that's point number one. God appointed Jesus as the great high priest. Number two, he is according to the order of Melchizedek. And uh, here we would look at Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, which reads, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And also we can look at Hebrews 6.20, where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So that was number two. Number three is he is superior to Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. So Jesus, who is our great high priest, is superior to the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. We would look at Hebrews 7.11. And verse 16 and 22, I'll read that quickly. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So there are some ideas that we can uh, camp on for a bit, but suffice it to say that there are a couple things that catch my attention. The endless life, the power of an endless life, and that Jesus has become a surety, a guarantee 
And we, we hear that sort of language with respect to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That the Holy Spirit is a guarantee or a surety. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then the, the other word that caught my eye was better covenant. So here we have this connection between the new covenant and our great high priest. So you have a priest who is a, a priest, a servant of God who has taken the oath and has become our new covenant. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, and also in verse 6. Now this, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seat, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the lord erected and not man so now my imagination is going as i read this i i think about god the father appointing or anointing the high priest which is jesus christ the great high priest in the tabernacle which is in heaven this is not something that man has created and that this was uh a, that he is a minister of the sanctuary in that true tabernacle. But now he has attained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So here's the comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old pattern of, of the priest and what they had to do to, to offer sacrifices to, uh, to cover sin. And here the new covenant. Number four, he is consecrated with an oath. I never thought about this either, that there was an actual oath involved that Christ, who is our great high priest, uh, made an oath in Hebrews 7, 20 and 21. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Number five, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Hebrews 7, 23 and 28. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. I love this. This is all coming together. Take a look at it again. This is uh, Hebrews 7, 23. And uh, also verse 28, 28 reads, For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Verse, uh, six, sixth point here, and I hope we'll get through all of them, but if we don't, we'll, we'll, I can uh, put those in the notes. Number six, he offered himself as a pure sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 14, and 26. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then, verse 26, then he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he offers himself as a pure sacrifice. Number seven, he reconciles us to God. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he may be 
he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Christ, as you know in the gospel message, Christ paid the sin, paid the price for our sin, and that brought us back into reconciliation or in good relationship with God the Father. So he's a merciful and faithful high priest. Number eight, he redeems us forever. Hebrews 9, 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So this, unlike the Old Testament sacrifice system, the Levitical law, those sacrifices did not forever cleanse. But Christ paid once for all, having attained eternal redemption. Number nine, he entered into heaven, Hebrews 4, 14 and 10, 12. Seeing that, they, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And also in Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So as his, our great high priest, he entered into heaven. And number 10, he sympathizes with those who are tempted. Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18 and 4.15 read, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, with, as we are yet without sin. So he, so, you know, one might say he's entered into heaven. Okay, great. We have a priest in heaven. That's as far away as I can imagine. But here, what we just read is that he is able to sympathize with the temptations, the very struggles that we have here on earth. And number 11, and this is where John chapter 17, the prayer really focuses intercession. He intercedes for us. That's number 11. Let's look at Isaiah 53:12, which reads, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hebrews 7:25 reads, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since, lost my place, uh, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And finally, Hebrews 9.24, uh, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he is offering intercession on our behalf. Oh, also Romans 8.34, good verse. Who is he who condemns? It, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, furthermore, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Number 12, he blessed, blesses us. There were, I'm sorry, not 15, there are 12. I pared it down. It was quite a long list. There are 12, okay, so we should end on time. Uh, number 12, he blesses us. Numbers 6, 23 through 26. 
reads, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way that you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And Acts 3.26 reads, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So, uh, in conclusion, there are a list of qualifications that makes Jesus Christ our great high priest. And the 12 that I read for you, I'm going to read them again just in case you were taking notes. Number one, he was appointed and called by God. Number two, he is according to the order of Melchizedek. Number three, he is superior to Aaron and the Levitical priests. Number four, he is consecrated with an oath. Number five, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Number six, he offered himself as a pure sacrifice. Number seven, he reconciled us to God. Number eight, he redeemed us forever. Number nine, he entered into heaven. Number 10, he sympathizes with those who are tempted. Number 11, he intercedes for us. And number 12, he blesses us. So I have given you a lot of information. And I know that you probably are saying, this is too much. Uh, this is really just a primer. Because you could take one of these 12 and spend a good day or two just really doing a deep dive into any one of these so that's what I want to encourage all to do is to consider taking some of these points that you've, you've read here and uh, doing a deeper dive on it. And how to apply all this? I, you know, I really struggled with, okay, so we read this prayer that Jesus gave in which he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, he prays for, the, for all believers. And, uh, and, the, there are many lessons, there are many truths in that prayer. How do I apply that to my life here today now? Well, when we struggle, maybe just take a moment to consider that Jesus Christ, and, and maybe use your imagination in a righteous way to say, God the Father anointed and appointed Jesus Christ to be the high, the great high priest, and he is advocating on my behalf. He is praying for me. Jesus Christ, who was there before creation, is actually praying for me. Just soak that in for a moment. That's, that's wild, okay? Um, second is that he wants us with a passion that we cannot really fathom to be united as he is united with the Father. And so reflect on that for a moment. What does it mean for us as believers to be united as Jesus is united with the Father? And then, uh, then the, the other thing that, that really is, has spoken to me is, is this idea of glory. That God the Father gives to the Son glory and the glory overflows to the church. And this glory gives this fullness of joy. So what that means in each of our lives can vary, but it's something to ponder, something to pray about, asking for the Lord to give you this glory. Well, I hope uh, these reflections have been helpful for you. They have been for me, and today as I was getting my hair cut, 
someone uh, that my hairstylist, I, could, I don't debate whether to call her a barber because guys don't have hairstylists, you know what I'm saying? But uh, she said, she said, so have you learned a few things? And I said, absolutely. I am uh, usually my number one student. So in other words, when you, when you do a study like this, you are often, as, as any pastor can attest to, you learn so much out of the study and you feel like really the study might have been for yourself. Uh, God might have been wanting you to do this just for you. But I hope that that's not the case, that it wasn't just for me. I hope that you are blessed by it. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words. These are important words for us today in the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and the study thereof. And I pray that, that we would ponder what it means for you to be our great high priest. And I pray that uh, we would be blessed by your presence in a way that goes beyond words. And I now wish to speak the blessing of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 to him who is able to exceedingly, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.